everybody. It's Mittens again with another episode of Supernatural George. And uh, today we are talking about one that, gosh, what on earth do you even say about it? Season one, episode 13. I've got to keep just wanting to call it the racist truck episode. <laughs> Route 666. Of course, we all know this one is uh, problematic in just the general concept of the episode, but I'm not really going to try and focus on that. I'm just going to try and focus on the character aspects that we learn about Dean in this episode. And since last week's episode was ran so long, and this week's episode could basically just be like five minutes of me just pointing out everything we learn about Dean as a character in this episode, and then just, you know, calling it a day. <laughs> I'm going to take an opportunity to talk a little bit more about how I look at Supernatural, because I realized after last week's episode that the way I talk about Billy the Reaper, Billy as death at the very end of the series, I realized a lot of people don't know where I'm coming from when I made those statements. And I just want to clarify a few things about how I see the entire cosmic structure of the supernatural universe, what Billy's place in, or death in general, what the place of that function is in the universe. Because I've always seen death as not a person or an ego or a character so much as the concept of death being a constant in the universe. I mean, we know after the original death, quote unquote, died at the end of season 10, that things still kept dying. Reapers still existed. People didn't just stop dying because a personification of death ceased to exist in creation, as far as we knew. That more than anything, death is more of becomes a personification when it's needed or when it to act when necessary. But the power of death didn't cease to exist just because the embodiment of death did. And until we, Billy was killed as a reaper and became the new death by that power of the next reaper to die becomes the new death stuff still died <laughs> it's just she, she inherited that mantle of power she took on the knowledge of death and it expanded on what she already was before we saw the mantle of power transfer to another reaper in the penultimate episode of the entire series and we then saw that version of death die as well so it's a transferable mantle of power, the scythe and the ring and being just symbols of that. But there is like a power that transferred to her with the knowledge of death. I don't believe that de that Billy, I, I, it pisses me off, honestly, that episode 18 of season 15 seemed to recast her as a villain. And we had all been suspicious of what, she was before in the narrative like was she on their side was she helping them was she just a neutral force that was just pointing stuff out like even going back to season 14 when she told Dean that the only way to save the universe was for him to lock himself in a malak box was that 
what she truly believed based on the information that she had. Was she being pressured into that by the reality of her function as the keeper of the balance of the universe? You know, the the whole natural order thing that we've been learning about death since the beginning of the series. I rewatched Appointment in Samara this week, and that that was my first understand like solid understanding of the place of death in the universe that he can bend rules he he made choices and things but they were always in line with the fact that there was a limit on he couldn't just come out and say you know go stop Cassie's doing something really terrible and he, he he couldn't even say that much but so there's limitations on what what death can actually do in a in the same sort of way that like in the monster at the end of this book, the first episode where we meet Chuck and Dean asks for help in stopping what was supposed to be destined to happen in that episode of Sam and Lilith meeting in the hotel room. Dean was basically begging Cass to help him stop that from happening. And, and Cass tells him, I can't interfere. And this is why. And basically him saying why he couldn't interfere gave Dean the information he needed to be able to break that destiny. So I I always feel like death acts in the narrative in that way. Like they cannot, they are bound from being able to just come flat out and say, this is what I am doing. And this is why they, they'll be able to give hints like almost like fairy speech, you know, that they never, they, talk around something and hope you get the point it's it makes death an interesting character because I've always seen Billy since she was first introduced at the beginning of season 12 or season 11 as Andrew Dabbs self-insert character in the same way that Eric Kripke's self-insert character was Chuck and Sarah Gamble's got gosh only knows what her self-insert character was the leviathan (laughs) but carver's self-insert character was you know metatron writing the version of supernatural as it was in in his era but dab created billy and when he brought her back and made her death knowing that he would be the showrunner until the end of the show that he was literally going to be ending this the show I saw her as his hand in the story and keeping the cosmic order, the balance of, of the, the natural order in the narrative until it was time to end this show. Whatever happened in the, in season 15 that, that led them to that specific finale. I saw Billy dying in episode 18 as, okay, that was kind of like the end of Dab's story. He was no longer the teller of the story, even though he wrote the finale, that his voice got deleted from that. And whatever happened in the finale is just something else. But Billy, I I cannot see her as a villain because can you imagine being the force of the universe that is responsible for keeping that balance and having Chuck for millennia just doing everything he could to throw things off balance. Like even we learned in Funeralia in season 13, episode 19, 
that when Billy sent Jessica the Reaper to pressure them to do something about Rowena throwing off the natural order by killing Reapers, she mentioned why it was important that they stop this from happening. Because if the natural order becomes too imbalanced, it will self-correct. There will be a plague or a mid-sized war, to use Jessica the Reaper's words from that episode, that you can't just do whatever you want and expect the natural order to hold up under that sort of stress. And what Chuck was doing, tearing, like literally destroying every alternate universe he could, and then doing whatever he could to manipulate Sam and Dean into carrying out the story he wanted, even if it meant removing everybody else from the planet, even if it meant forcing them into this situation in whatever way he could, it had to be like incredibly painful to Billy as the arbiter of the natural order to have everything thrown into chaos. You know, she's connected to her books that determine that have listed everyone's fate. And we know that those books can change. We know that fates can change based on choices, based on actions, based on other things that interfere with the natural order. Can you just imagine the chaos that was created by Chuck's actions? And to her, Chuck was using Dean to do all of this. Like he was trying to force Dean into compliance with his story. And Dean refused. And in a way that made Dean the easy target. So like I said in Faith last week, you can't kill death. You can't kill the God controlling death. So maybe you can just take the one thing you can control. And in Billy's case, in that circumstance, 1518, it was Dean. She could remove him from the playing field. She could put him beyond the reach of Chuck and Chuck's story would be over game over her problem would be solved it could you imagine just the madness of it that's really what the story ended up doing after she was gone from it Chuck's story removed Dean it just threw him on a rusty nail and removed him from the story removed Cass from the story the one that Chuck could never the one angel that Chuck could never control removed him from the story. And so that's really what the series finale was. It was Chuck winning by framing Billy as the villain. Dean and Cass found out only too late that Billy was not the villain. She was not the one destroying all their friends and family and loved ones. That it was Chuck all along. And yet she was paying the price for it. I have a really hard time seeing death as the villain, even though, even though death was trying to kill our heroes. It was she was just as much of a victim as Jean was, as Cass was, as all of them were in Chuck's story. And that's how I see the universe. And that's how I make sense of what happened here, because nothing else to me makes sense. Because just looking back at Billy's entire character arc, and the entire character arc of death as a character on the show and as a force of the cosmos on the show and the balance and the maintenance of that balance and what it means to defy the natural order. These are all the lessons that we learn throughout the series from death or from reapers. 
And it's just, it's such a big story within this universe to me that it, it feels important to actually take a few minutes here at the beginning, near the beginning of this series and just make that clear that that's how I personally understand the entirety of the the cosmic order here. <laughs> that said, we, we will now move on to this week's episode, which is our very first introduction to Buck Lemming, the much maligned Buck Lemming, Eugenie Ross Lemming and Brad Buckner, who wrote this one episode at the very beginning of the series and then don't write for the show again until season seven. So we've got a long time before we have to face them again. But I think there's some interesting notes to be made about this episode. First of all, it's also a one-off for the director, Paul Shapiro. This is the only episode of Supernatural he ever directed. I know season one, there's a lot of trial and error and having people come in and and help them get the the first season made before they really establish their core crew and their core team of directors that, I mean, we'll occasionally have like a one-off director later in the series, but it's rare. Usually they'll come in for at least a, you know, a handful of episodes, if not several seasons worth of episodes. But at the beginning, you can really see a lot of trial and error as they, as they work out really get their footing in the show, even from a production standpoint. There's a bit of interesting history to how Buck Lemming, and that's just how I call them because it's easier than saying their full names, and everybody knows what I'm talking about anyway, but how they came to have even written this episode to begin with. On the Super Wiki, which I will link to in the post for this episode, Kripke apparently, to use the words written on the SuperWiki, lost a script in season one. And with a week to go before they started filming, he tapped Buck Lemming. For those who don't know, Eugenie Ross Lemming is the wife of Bob Singer, one of the executive producers, the co-executive producer of the entire series. That's how... Kripke got in touch with her or with her writing team of her and Brad Buckner. They they had a week to put a script together because they'd lost a script. I don't know what that means. If they like technically literally misplaced it, deleted it, had the network rejected entirely. I don't know what the lost script means, but with a week to go before production, they needed a script. They had a rough outline of a plot and they were like, make this happen. And Buck Lemming pulled this out. And I think that's why this one is so terribly problematic and why Buck Lemming were not tapped to write another script until season seven. Don't know why they were invited back at that point, but they were. Uh, One other interesting thing about this one is this is another episode that we have a real actual script for. We have the full script in addition to the transcript, And it runs fairly close to what aired. There's a few scene changes, a couple of scenes that didn't get used in the episode, a few ways things are said that are 
spoken differently in the episode than they are in the script, especially about Dean and Cassie's previous relationship. Sam is more obnoxious about it in the script than he is in in the aired version, which I appreciate because even though he really still doesn't get it, he sounds like he's five teasing his teenage brother about, oh, you know, like almost like (laughs) it's it's just it's not great. But thank goodness they kind of toned it up a little bit for for the actual aired version. Another interesting thing about this script is because it was written on such a tight deadline, it sort of lacks any coherency as to the location where the, where the episode is set. There's just some weird stuff about how it was set in the thriving crab industry in Missouri somewhere along the Mississippi River. There's no thriving crab industry that far north. But it was changed to be set in Missouri Because the week they went to film it, it snowed in Vancouver. This episode was originally set in a fictional town in rural Mississippi, like down on the Gulf Coast. What on earth was that fictional town called? The town is called Pauly, P-A-U-L-E-Y, in the script. It doesn't exist in our world, but in the supernatural world, there's a town called Pauly, Mississippi, and... Even in the supernatural world, they couldn't make it fly that there was like four inches of snow anywhere in Mississippi in April. It just (laughs) because that the previous episode was set in April. They're kind of locked into springtime now. And even in Missouri, snow in April is a stretch. But since they were filming it in like November or something in Vancouver, that's just what they were stuck with. So I think I think that's primarily why there's not a lot of episodes for this whole series that are written in the South, because there's always the chance that there might be snow in Vancouver during the week they have to film. And rather than risk it, they just try not to write stuff in the South. Even if there's not snow in Vancouver, if they're filming something and it's like set in like, the, the mystery spot episode set in Broward County. If those guys were really in Broward County, they would have died of heat stroke wearing those clothes. <laughs> like, <laughs> flannel, t-shirt, jacket. Yeah, they would have died of heat stroke. So there, there are very few episodes set anywhere south of like the Midwest. But there are a few. Interesting to point out when we do find them, though. So that's how we ended up in this little rural, isolated town that apparently is still big enough to have a thriving crab industry and a newspaper with more than just a couple reporters on it. We don't get to see a lot of the town because, again, this script was finished within a week and before production began. So it makes it really interesting to see the actual script, knowing that detail, and then seeing what they this entire episode sort of feels like fiasco from start to finish, except it still did manage to really give us a lot of rich character stuff about Dean. And I really appreciate that. Another thing is I appreciate is that Buck Lemming, when they got tapped to write the script, their original idea for it, was for it to be like a 42-minute-long car chase, 
which would have been logistically impossible, especially on the tight turnaround that they were working on with the script. Can you imagine what it would have been like to just be on this 42-minute car chase with this ghost truck? There would have been no human interaction because they're trapped in a car. Like, there would have been no character development. It would have just been 42 minutes of tense car chase. I just can't even imagine how it would have worked. It would have been terrible. So... Seriously glad they at least came up with this plot because it was better than the alternative. Just bear that in mind every time you want to cringe horribly during this episode because golly, don't we all? I'm also not going to go into heavy detail about all the plot stuff. I'm just going to kind of like point stuff out as we get to each segment of the episode and hopefully I can keep this relatively short because honestly nobody wants to spend much time with Buck Lemming. And on one final note before I get into the then segment (laughs) my ancient Blu-ray player that I've had for like I don't know at least at least 10 years maybe closer to 15 years the pause button on my clicker has finally died so I have no way to pause the show so every time I Pause it. I watch the episode while I say this stuff into this microphone here and I pause it to speak about what I'm watching and <laughs> I can't pause it this time. So it's this is going to be interesting. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. <laughs> so apologies in advance if this seems kind of rushed or pressured in any way, but let's move on to the then segment, which is back to our standard it starts with the whole take your brother outside and then Mary's dying and then Sam saying that the only thing they need to do is find dad. Of course, the show is now back to the now that we have a, a basic understanding of what their lives are like when they're just hunting. Now we're back to the mission of finding dad. But this episode goes wildly into a detour. The cold open shows us the first death, Cassie's father being run off the road at, by the truck that then disappears. So we're right into the racist truck episode. Quick note about the comparison of the cold open to how it's written in the actual script. It's kind of gory on the details in the script in ways that I'm glad did not make it into the episode, but it's like you can see this entirely different writing style from the Buck Lemming script to the scripts that we have seen to this point. Just the way they describe stuff happening in the episode, it's overkill. Uh, as far as most supernatural scripts that I've read, and I've read a lot of them, it's just, I've even read other Buck Lemming scripts and This one is just like they are thrown into something and just really don't really understand how any of it works, kind of. But it's amazing they got this as to the point where they did, where they got the character stuff down. And that's really what matters in this script to me personally, because as I said, there's a lot to it. The script references that Sam and Dean at the opening 
after the cold open at the open of this episode that they're in Kentucky and for some reason are trying to get to Pennsylvania. I don't know if there's a case there or there's just something there. They've decided to go drive in that direction, but they're trying to get from Kentucky to Pennsylvania when Dean gets the call from Cassie and says, nope, we're not going there. Uh, An old friend called and trust me, she never would have called if if she hadn't needed us, so we're going to help her. And without question, he just goes. Sam is now trying to pry details out of Dean. And the way he goes about doing it is very proddy in a typical Sam way. He like, he pokes at Dean, like as if, you know, somehow he's entitled to the information, but also Dean typically withhold, withholds this sort of personal information about himself from Sam. And he always kind of has like we'll see even in something wicked, the episode where with the Striga that they go back and that John basically sends them on as Dean feels a sort of punishment for having to go back and fix this problem that he caused when he was nine years old of letting the Striga get away. The way the information unfolds with Sam pestering, 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 poking, prodding, prodding at Dean. And Dean, you we slowly see the way that information unfolds throughout the entire episode. And in the case of Something Wicked, we, the audience, see things in flashbacks from Dean's point of view that I'm not sure that Sam even understands in the context of that episode. They may have talked things out afterwards, but this feels like that sort of episode where, except in this episode, we, the audience, don't have flashbacks of Dean and Cassie's relationship. We don't get to see how he was with her. We don't get to see the full truth of, you know, he he tries to brush it off. He dated her for a few weeks or whatever. This sounds like a much more serious relationship than that. The way that you can kind of see that Sam has to just, pester and pester until Dean gives him even the barest information about their relationship and then draw his own conclusions and then wait for Dean's reactions to decide if those conclusions are, or are how, how accurate they are. And you'll see Sam responding to Dean's just facial expressions in this episode and understanding, Oh shit, I'm seeing more of this than Dean is even willing to talk about. And eventually Dean, you know, we, we kind of get that they were a much more serious relationship than what Dean tries to play it off at as even at first. And just by Dean and Cassie's interactions, we can see that they clearly had a close and possibly longer term than the week or two he passed it off as in the episode at least it feels like that. It feels more like an authentic relationship where they were close for quite a while and then everything fell apart. But it gives us a lot about Dean, about how he talks about himself to Sam, about how Sam thinks of Dean, even though he gets this information that Dean was in love with with someone, that he was serious about someone, that he wanted he even makes an overture at the end of the episode to leave their relationship open like so that he could call or come back or that he wants to come back to her and she's like 
you know, no, this is not going to happen. But the way Dean talks about that and thinks about that and feels about that is something that we, the audience, get to finally start seeing rather than just what he is willing to tell Sam. And we see that there's a lot that he keeps from Sam that is his personally. It's just frustrating that Sam never really sort of internalizes that and just goes right back to thinking of Dean as, you know, someone who doesn't have relationships at all. And it's just, it's frustrating because I know that this happens throughout the entire series, like right up until the last few episodes of the entire series before we ever get Sam recognizing and admitting that he recognizes this about Dean. So, but this is the foundation of that. Well, season one in general. I've talked in a number of episodes to this point about how this is just how Dean is. The script is almost entirely faithful to the aired version here, except for one line that Sam gets that's not in the script, but it or this version of the script. This is the second writer's draft. Oh, no, this is the studio draft, which is before the production draft. He teases Dean in the episode, you dated someone for more than one night. So that's Sam's impression of Dean is that he doesn't do relationships at all, that he's a one and done guy, that he he can't be serious about a relationship at all, that he's just doesn't get attached to people like that. And we know Dean gets attached to everybody in, in certain ways, but in this specific case, in a romantic relationship with her, with Cassie. Sam can't even conceive of a, a version of Dean that could do that here. And it's one thing that he gets to, a chance to see, even if he doesn't retain everything of it. Sam, at this point, is angry with Dean. He can't believe that Dean would go out with some girl a couple times, in his words, a couple times. And spill their whole family secret that they never tell anybody because that's what they do. They don't talk about it. That's he says, we do what we do and we shut up about it. And he kept all of that from Jessica for a year and a half. He never talked, told Jessica a thing about their hunting life that for the year and a half they were together. Yet Dean goes out with this chick a couple times in Sam's words and spills everything. And Dean's like, yeah, I guess so. And Sam is really angry about this in the episode. He's like visibly angry, like shaking his head angry, like trying to demand that Dean talk about this because this was apparently a huge no-no for their family to tell anybody about what they did. Obviously that becomes kind of funny in later seasons when they will just spill to anybody <laughs> at some points in the series. Like, Whenever it's convenient, they'll spill everything. With Sam, it was his choice, partly, to not tell Jess anything, even after he started having the nightmares about her, even after he was seriously committing to a relationship with her, living together for a year and a half they dated. He was considering proposing to her or whatever, and yet he still refused to tell her. And it's like, at that point, Sam... You either have to fess up about who you are as a person to somebody, and that includes, like, the ugly stuff you don't want to dredge up with somebody, or 
it's really just not fair to the other person or yourself at that point to just let her th- go on thinking that you're just some normal average guy who came from some normal average, the sort of family you don't want to talk about much. But my God, how do you not at least confess a little bit of what your history is to somebody that you're in that serious a relationship with? Which sort of gives us our first pause to consider just how serious Dean's relationship with Cassie had been at the time. Sam frames it as something short-term, like two dates instead of the one night together or whatever that he, he figures Dean's good for, based on his observations. It gives us the, the opening to say, to say, hmm, how serious about a relationship was this really? And how much is Dean hiding from Sam? Because Dean clearly does not want to talk about it. And he knows he's driving Sam directly into a circumstance where it's very likely he will have to talk about it. And have to, or that it will just become blatantly obvious. Sam's anger here about was it because he had to have, he had to keep this secret from Jess because they were just not supposed to talk about it? Or was it because he chose to keep it secret from Jess despite the seriousness of their relationship? And it kind of makes you question how serious their relationship was if this was something he had managed to go a year and a half without telling her anything about. I'm going to pause here for a minute before we meet Cassie and introduce Cassie, but there's another thing, an oddity in this episode that is explained by the script discrepancies in the script. The car goes over an embankment and down a hill, but where they filmed it was completely flat. And honestly, Mississippi is completely flat where it was set. So, I mean, like, I there's not a lot of big hills with big embankments and stuff. But, but where they filmed this in Vancouver was completely flat. And he didn't go over the edge of anything in the car. Uh, but Cassie's talking about her dad's accident and describes it as there's a set of muddy tracks that lead right up to where where he went over the edge. And it's like, there was no edge. He just ran off the road into the grass, like, <laughs> uh, and started flipping. So, obviously, they didn't have time to even hammer out logistical details based on where they got access to film these driving scenes between that and the script, I mean, this was a rush job script all around, and it kind of feels that way in the episode. Not even mentioning the racial ickiness of this episode, the way it's framed as, you know, oh, back in the bad old days, unlike today where everything's hunky-dory, and it just feels extra icky. (laughs) Watch every time I watch it, and knowing that, yeah, no, this... It's still bad, guys. Like, please stop trying to frame it as everything's super fine now and we don't have these problems anymore. Like, no, 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 no. It it feels even worse now in some ways than it did when this episode originally aired. So <sighs> I just I'm not really going to focus on that. I'm going to try and focus on what's actually worth focusing on in this episode as far as the characters. So back to that. Sam still thinks it's 
funny to tease Dean about how he behaves around Cassie after he gets to witness it firsthand. Like the way that they talk to each other and don't look at each other and look at each other. And he thinks it's just kind of funny to tease Dean about it still. And he's going to continue to think it's funny to tease Dean about it right through the end of this episode. He doesn't really get that this... I don't think he really gets the weight of this, that for Dean, his relationship with Cassie is probably something even more than Sam's relationship with Jess, because Cassie actually knew Dean as a whole person and not the facade that he chose to, that Sam chose to show, to be with Jess as. I don't always like to do it, but every once in a while I have to give Buck Lemming a little bit of credit for something, or at least take some of the blame off of them for something that wasn't their doing in the script. It's written up as a, the, the truck itself is written in as a like beat up old gray pickup truck from the 1960s that for some reason when they, I, maybe they couldn't get a beat up old gray pickup truck from the 60s and ended up with this monster truck looking thing. It doesn't look like a 60s era rural small town beater pickup truck <laughs> like it does in their script. So the props department or whoever was in charge of getting the vehicles for this episode, maybe this was the best they could do on short notice, but it's still odd that things had to be rewritten to justify this monster truck in this episode. Maybe they thought it would look scarier. Who knows? I have no idea who was responsible for that change, but it would have been less weird, I think, if Buck Lemming's original 1960s era beat up old gray pickup truck had stuck. So it's not as bad as they originally intended. Just being fair here. Sam begins to work out what Dean's relationship with Cassie, the extent of it. He presses and presses for more information. Dean has to fess up that they were a lot more involved, a little more involved than a lot more involved than he originally made them out to be. And he he was upset with himself for having told her the truth. Sam continues to press you know, he's kind of like doing the Sam smirky thing where he's, he's taunting Dean. It's clear on his face. And Dean's like, you know, Sam's trying to give him an out. Like everybody, you know, you have to open up to somebody sometime. And Dean's like, not me, because look how it turned out. You know, Sam starts putting the pieces together after that, that Dean loved her and that she dumped him. And he's stops the teasing for a minute. He sees how upset Dean is. Honestly, it's almost the exact same conversation that they're having in the, in the episode fan fiction, uh, season 10, episode five, where they're standing at the Impala talking about Destiel, cast Dean, Dean cast, and Sam's taunting him about it. And the conversation even finishes with the exact same lines of Dean telling Sam to shut up basically and get in the car, get in the car. He says it twice in both episodes. So it's almost an exact direct callback to how he's avoiding talking about Cassie and how he's avoiding talking about Cass 
(laughs) in the exact same way, 10 seasons apart. So do with that what you will. Dean is finally alone with Cassie trying to investigate this case, but their conversation almost immediately becomes about them. Cassie accuses Dean of every time they would would become close that Dean had to be emotionally vulnerable, he would back off. And she's accusing him of that again now. And they argue about this, about how their relationship ended, that Dean was trying to be emotionally vulnerable, telling her about the truth of his life, that he clearly was as emotionally vulnerable as he gets with anybody with her. That was the cause of her disbelieving him, thinking she was he was lying to her about wanting her to break up with him, like wanting her to feel silly for believing any of it or whatever she believed. That was the reason that she ended things with him. And they just argue about this and about the tense nature of their relationship. And of course, that leads to the most interminable sex scene. (laughs) I mean, this thing just goes on and on and it's just so awkward and (laughs) okay, everybody, we can fast forward through that one, right? So after the, their intimate scene, we see a shot in the next morning of the mayor getting killed by the truck. And then it goes back and we go back to the intimate scene. (laughs) Like what an odd interlude. Between intimate scenes, Dean and Cassie wake up together. They have a they have a really calm and honest discussion with each other about how they were feeling when they ended things before and and what they would expect going forward. Cassie basically says, no more excuses. Let's just be open with each other. And Dean's like, well, my, I still have my work that I do that's very scary and dangerous and that Cassie had been afraid of and that's what led her to walk away from him in the first place. So they they do have an emotionally honest conversation with each other, which is about as honest as you will ever see Dean being with a woman in this entire series. He finally does open up and have a similar level of honest communication with Lisa, but you really feel like he's doing it with Cassie because there is a depth of love and not some sort of fantasy of what a normal suburban family life could be for him. With her, it's about her. It's not about this ideal of middle-class life that he thinks he's supposed to want. He actually just wants her. He's completely honest about his feelings and it's, beautiful to know that yes Dean Winchester is capable of actually talking about his feelings in a way that's not like because Sam's teasing him or pressuring him or demanding that he reveal himself to him so at the end of his conversation with uh, Cassie his phone rings and it's Sam letting him know that about the mayor's death Dean meets him out at that crime scene. And of course, Sam's immediately got to tease Dean about the fact that he stayed out all night from their hotel room. Guess you guys worked things out, huh? And Dean's like, yeah, no, no, not at all. You can just see Sam, like the gears turning in Sam's head. Like, 
okay, there's way more to this than that, you know, Dean is actually this adult person who actually cares about people and not just the one night stand machine. After they hear the whole story of how this ghost truck came to be from Cassie's mom, who knew the whole story and knew all of the people involved in this, they dredge it up from the swamp and in the original script, it's really interesting because Buck Lemming clearly had not even done their homework on the limited number of episodes that existed when they wrote this script. There was at most 12 episodes that they could have even referred to scripts for, and they still managed to screw up a detail in the script that, thank goodness, production caught and changed. When they are preparing the body to salt and burn it, Sam's like, think that'll do it? That'll do it right? And Dean replies, it always has. We know that it always, it hasn't, just burning the body doesn't always get rid of the ghost problem, because... Hookman exists as an episode. Already we've seen a ghost attached to an object that was it was tied to the way Cyrus was tied to his truck in this episode. So clearly not the best on cotton, even maintaining continuity across 12 episodes, let alone seven seasons when Buck Lemming comes back. They're always doing something that's just cringeworthy enough with it canon as it already exists, you know, toying with it or implying something that doesn't line up with previous canon. And it's just frustrating to me, but it's something that I enjoy figuring out ways to like my tag for them is Buck Lemming canon acrobatics, because I just, I find it fun to actually do backflips to explain away some of their nonsense. Cause You can if you look at it really, really sideways sometimes. But thank goodness this one we don't have to because they took that out of the actual aired episode. So that line about this being the first time that they've ever burned a body and had it not destroy the the ghost. They just they just changed it in the final version of the script. So hoorah for that. Dean tells Sam that he needs to find a way to burn the truck and he gets in the Impala and drives away to lure the truck away from Sam. So to keep it occupied while Sam figures out a way to burn the truck, which Sam can't obviously do because it's filled with 40 years worth of pond scum and I guess they don't have enough gasoline for that. Whatever, they salting and burning it just for the purposes of a purification ritual, I guess, apparently do not work in Buck Lemming episodes either. There's another bit of interesting Buck Lemming canon that is borderline a Christo moment because we never hear of this concept being used again. How they end up resolving it, Sam calls Cassie, finds where the hallowed ground of the church that Cyrus had burned down 40 years ago was located and directed Dean to drive to that spot so that Cyrus would drive basically using Dean as a target for Cyrus to come driving directly at. Apparently a spirit, when it moves onto hallowed ground an evil spirit specifically here, when it moves onto hallowed ground, sometimes it is destroyed. This is not a concept that you ever really think about or hear about again 
in the entire series that a ghost of any sort would have any trouble with hallowed ground at all. Because, I mean, isn't that where graveyards are? Ghosts exist in those graveyards, you know? What makes him specifically an evil spirit that can't go on to hallowed ground anymore? Is it because this is the church that Cyrus was responsible for destroying and he committed an atrocity on this location and killed a whole choir full of children on this location thinking he was killing Cassie's parents instead? It's just make it make sense I can't so we're just gonna go with that but Dean sort of has the same sort of feeling I do about this he asks, what would you have done if this hadn't worked and Sam's like uh and hot honestly hadn't occurred to me Dean is just completely gobsmacked that Sam would even just not even occur to him as he's like nearly dying trying to get you know say get get run off the road just like Multiple other people have died. That's why they're here in the first place from this truck. And just, ah, Sam, come on. It didn't even occur to you that, uh, that it might fail. Like, oh my God. But of course it doesn't. And it's just a moment of tension between them. But yeah, we never will again hear about ghosts be having any sort of aversion even to hallowed ground or consecrated land or whatever so just a piece of random well at least it worked that one time they needed it to kind of trivia about ghosts so there you go I still think it would have been easier just to throw salt on the truck and cover it with with as much gasoline as they had left and just set it on fire as like an act of purification. Destroy it in a way that might be meaningful in some way. That probably would have done it too, but whatever. This was probably more interesting, especially considering they wanted to write a 42-minute episode, 42 episode that was basically that final driving scene. So I'll give them that one just so they could get their one little scene in. We get Dean's goodbye scene with Cassie. The next day, they part amicably, but Dean even expresses to her that he would like a chance to, to maybe come back and try a relationship with her, even if he is taken away by his work frequently. And she doesn't really say anything to that, but he tells her flat out that he has, you know, he's seen weirder things happen, but you know in that moment that if he had a choice, he would want to be able to continue his relationship with her. And he promises to come see her, that he'll see her again. And then we never see her again in the 15 years of the series. I don't even know if she ever gets mentioned again anywhere in the series. But it's kind of heartbreaking thinking that Dean, who would be so willing to give himself wholly to somebody who would accept him wholly for everything he is to find somebody who would take him. It's kind of a relief in season six when Lisa accepts him so wholly, but it's not the person that Dean would choose. It was just the being accepted that he chooses to be with her. 
it doesn't feel the same as his relationship with Cassie did. It's not something he would have chosen if it wasn't the only choice he thought he had. You know, with Cassie, he would have worked to make that work with her if that's what she wanted to. And it just breaks my heart for Dean in a lot of ways. And even Sam sees this. He admits to Dean as they're driving out of town that, you know, he likes Cassie and would it be worth it to put aside what we do for someone like that? And Dean looks at him and just doesn't answer because there is no answer to that. I mean, how do you even reply to that? Would you want to be able to have a relationship like that with somebody? And Dean's like, he's not willing to cut out half of himself to live his life as the other half. You know what I mean? He cuts out his personal relationships and has done for most of his life. The, the chance at building a real personal relationship with someone like that because it doesn't really mesh with the life as a hunter. And the later portions of the series work so hard. Like, it takes them until season 11 when Sam will ask that question again. Have you ever thought about settling down with someone? Except Sam changes it. It's not leaving the life to settle down and have a normal life. It's settling down with another hunter, someone who understands what they what their lives are like. Settling down with somebody to have a connection with them and a bond and a a relationship. And that's pretty much the only sorts of people I think that would even be able to begin to understand the Winchesters, especially by season 11. Of course, we know who that is for Dean. It's like, that's how Sam is dense in season 11 when he's talking to Dean about it. Sam is beginning to play the field. In that same episode, he sleeps with one woman and flirts with another on camera. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're playing the field, but Dean isn't really. It's interesting. It's like Sam is searching for someone in the life that he can have a relationship with. And a few episodes later from that, we'll meet Eileen and he'll think maybe there's something here. And then the show forgets that ever happened. And we all know how that turns out eventually. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not here to talk about way in the future of Sam's relationships, but down the line at the very end of the day, neither of them were able to truly either lay aside the burden of hunting or to choose life with a hunter. It's like all of that got erased in the finale. And it just makes me want to whack things because as I've been saying the previous few episodes where it's like, how can you take what was the low point of season one and make that the series finale right before they get to this point where Dean is even considering that there might be a happy relationship out there for himself here. It's like, look, beyond the road, maybe there is hope for happiness eventually. No, apparently not. Not in this show. (laughs) Okay, it's time for my weekly, I'm going to club things until I feel better because... (laughs) Because of the series finale, but hey, here we are again. At least we're starting to feel like Dean is opening up as a, as a person. And we're starting to see that, yes, underneath that exterior, that it seems like water wouldn't would just roll off his back. Everything just rolls off Dean. 
nothing seems to bother him or affect him. Yeah, he's really deeply affected by stuff. He really does deeply care. He wants to be loved. He wants to love somebody. And he just feels like he's not entitled to that because of what he does, because of who he is, and because of how he lives. And it's just unfair. And at least Sam gets a little peek at that that Dean isn't just the guy who picks up the the waitress at the bar every night and never sees, sees her again. That's not the entirety of Dean's personality. That's more of a coping mechanism because he can't have what he would choose if he could. As Dean-focused as this episode was, next week's episode, Season 1, Episode 14, Nightmare, will bring us right back into Sam's head. So prepare yourself. We'll finally start seeing Sam's visions again, unfortunately, because, oh my God, they're awful. Can you imagine? Just you get psychic powers and and they only show you how people die. It just sounds horrifying. Anyway, until then, you can find me on Tumblr at SPNGeorge or at MittensMorgul. And once again, the Discord, we've been, I've been typing an awful lot more in there too lately. Hit me up on Tumblr or you can email me at mittensmorgul at gmail and I can give you a link to the Discord server if you're interested in joining. Until next week then, try not to piss off any trucks. I don't know. Um... God, I was stuck in traffic the other day and there was like dead stopped at a traffic light and there was a huge white pickup truck behind me. And like all I could see was the, in my rear view mirror was the grill of the truck. It was big and directly behind me. And all of a sudden I hear this like grinding noise and then a huge smash and crunch and the truck starts rolling toward me and I'm like, oh shit, I can't go anywhere because there's a car in front of me, you know, like we're at a red light. And apparently the truck had been rear-ended by somebody speeding into it from behind. And like, how do you not see this truck? It's freaking huge. It's the only thing I can see in my rear view. So as the light turned green finally and the truck was able to merge off the road in the, I could see the car behind it that had smashed the truck. I'm thinking, oh crap. It's this little tiny, tiny car and it's just like the whole front end of it. I'm not even sure if it was able to leave the road under its own power. That's how smashy it was. So I, I'm i already having awkward feelings and stressful feelings about trucks this week. So racist truck now in has been destroyed and we don't have to think about it ever again. Thank goodness. Well, at least not until uh, Hollywood Babylon when it's on one of the movie posters in the studio. <laughs> but until then, you know, just drive safe, I guess. 